Welcome to A Dream and a Fear. I'm your host, Max. And I'm Hugo. In this series of podcasts, we'll be diving into the lives, motivations, and legacies of some of history's greatest explorers. On today's episode, we are very happy to welcome journalist and author Julian Sancton. Julian's recent best-selling book, Madhouse at the End of the Earth, is a gripping account of the 1897 Belgian Antarctic expedition, and it has received high praise from publications such as The Times and The Guardian. While the book focuses on a number of intriguing figures, our chat today will concentrate on the American-born Frederick Cook, a man who has gone down in history as one of the most polarising figures from the great age of exploration. From his key role in the Belgica expedition to spending his final days in prison, Cook's life was plagued with controversy. Julian, a very warm welcome and thank you for joining us all the way from New York. Thank you. Yeah, again, to reiterate, Hugo, thank you, Julian, and I will just jump straight into the questions. So let's start off with uh, the Belgica expedition itself. How did a country with only 40 miles of coastline become involved in the expedition that really kicked off the heroic age of Antarctic exploration? Sure. Well, uh, the, the country you're speaking of is Belgium, and uh, which at that time was a relatively young country. It had just separated from uh, the Netherlands in 1830. And so uh, in 1897, it was younger than uh, a number of its citizens. Um, and as you mentioned, it had a, a very short coastline and uh, since its separation with the Netherlands had a very little maritime tradition there the, 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 the Dutch had a navy the Belgian didn't uh, the Belgians didn't um, there there was uh, not any uh, young man uh, looking for adventure would be more likely to seek it in the Congo you know the, the Leopold II's uh, the project to claim the Congo as his own personal property, uh, and, and wouldn't have thought to, wouldn't have thought to seek out a, a, a life on the seas. There was one exception to this, uh, one notable exception. It was a young Belgian aristocrat named Adrien de Jarlache, who was transfixed with uh, s- stories of exploration and uh, and polar adventure, and he heard the 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 call around the world for the for the urgent exploration of the Antarctic which then was uh, practically unknown beyond its uh, a few fragmentary coastlines um, and the the great uh, maritime powers of the day uh, and geographical societies uh, around the world um, were, were were all sort of uh, competing to claim that that prize uh, of, of uh, Antarctic exploration, specifically the uh, you know the, to 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 lead a thorough scientific expedition to document the, the the flora and the fauna and the geology of the Antarctic, but they didn't get their act together. The only one who actually did uh, and barely was De Gerlach. He was in his uh, uh, late twenties when he came up with the idea that he should lead an expedition to the Antarctic, which was a, a kind of a preposterous idea. Uh, but he he scraped together a meager budget and a ragtag crew. And uh, finally, his dream became a reality on August 16th, 1897, when 
the Belgica left the port of Antwerp and and sailed towards the Antar the uh, the Atlantic and eventually towards Antarctica. And when he left, he did so without a doctor on board, which was a mind-boggling gamble on his part to go to the most hostile and uh, an unknown uh, and dangerous environment on the planet without a doctor. And yet it was the choice was either to leave without a doctor or to not leave at all because he had had a succession of of uh, doctors commit to to this uh, expedition only to back out for various reasons and his the latest of back backed out the, the day before the departure um, and uh, as luck would have it the first of, of many failures struck the Belgica that very day when the uh, the, the, the uh, engine broke down and he had to go back to Antwerp um, and that is when he decided finally, well, okay, this is absolutely crazy. This this gives me an opportunity to find to find a doctor, and I can't find a qualified one in Belgium. Um, and so it, he looked back at his at a, a telegram that he had ignored, uh, that came to him from New York. It was sent a few weeks before by uh, the aforementioned Frederick Cook, and he considered it uh, for a long while and decided that even though. Uh, he, he knew the Belgian press and the Belgian public would criticize him for hiring an American on a Belgian, uh, an American doctor for a Belgian expedition. He um, he had no choice. And so he uh, sent a, a telegram to Cook, who spoke no French uh, and had to have it translated later. And uh, in fact, his language, his poor language skills would prove to be quite an obstacle. Um, but uh, Lage wrote him. Uh, and, and invited him to join the expedition in Rio de Janeiro, and uh, which he did, which was one of, the, of of the many questionable decisions that de Jorlache took in forming this expedition and in leading it. This was an outlier. He he it was it, a, a stroke of of great fortune that uh, Frederick Cook managed to find his way aboard. And just on that, I guess you know it'd be great to get a bit of context to exactly how. An American with probably little at that time polo experience ended up on mm. a sort of Belgium expedition. Sure, um, he the fact that he was American, I think, was was um, as I mentioned a big. It was a big problem for for Dijerlach, who had already struggled with the fact that half of his crew that he had selected were nor were Norwegian uh, because he couldn't find any uh, enough qualified sailors in Belgium. The fact that um, that he had to seek Cook across the Atlantic Ocean um, shows how desperate he actually was, um, and how lucky Cook was. But but um, I disagree with the with the idea that you suggested he did not have much polar experience. He in fact had more polar experience than anybody else on board because he had um, spent some time in 1891 with Robert Peary, uh, who was an, uh, an American polar explorer, um, in Greenland to uh, outline the. Uh, northern coast of Greenland and establish its insularity, which is to say, uh, to try to prove that Greenland was an island. And so he spent a herring winter on land in Greenland um, with Peary in, uh, in in the early 1890s. And it, it proved to be a crucial time for Cook uh, and, and a, a period of great learning uh, because he, he spent he spent time with the Inuit uh, of of uh, 
of northern Greenland and, and learned a lot about about nutrition in the poles, about what it was uh, what was required to endure the cruelties of a, of a polar winter, as well as a certain travel and survival techniques. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, uh, Julian. Thanks for that introduction to Peary. We're going to come back to him later, so uh, stay tuned. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we will. So what was, going back to the Belgica, what was the initial plan of the expedition and what were they hoping to achieve? The plan of the expedition was to lead, uh, of the Dijerlache's plan was to lead the first purely scientific expedition to the Antarctic. And so his it was going to be a three-year project that would begin with the exploration of the Antarctic Peninsula, which is uh, the, the sort of outstretched uh, tendril that points towards uh, South America, if you can picture Antarctica on a map. Um, and it would it would be a, a thorough investigation of and documentation of the flora and fauna, uh, as I mentioned, of the geology, of the meteorology, of the uh, ocean depths uh, uh, along the the uh, Antarctic Peninsula, and um, and then uh, realizing that he would need some kind of exploit, some kind of coup, to uh, electrify the Belgian public and the press and uh, get the nation behind him. Uh, Dujolaj proposed that he would also seek the South Magnetic Pole, which uh, was presumed to be at that point on the other side of the continent. Um, and, and the South Magnetic Pole, I should add, is, like the North Magnetic Pole, distinct from the geographic poles. Magnetic South Pole is the center of magnetic activity. It's the point to which all compasses point. And that is a moving target because it depends on the churn of magma in the Earth's core. And it had never been located. Uh, and so it would have been a great first to crow about. And so that was also uh, Dijerlache's hope that he would be able to land a wintering party to establish wintering quarters and uh, and leave as soon as uh, the the uh, the, the uh, sun would reemerge and make a dash for the South Magnetic Pole. Uh, those were the those were the goals of the exp- expedition. And as we as they move forward, there's a there's there's a key moment in the book where you describe the captain de, de Gerlache's decision to go deeper when he had the opportunity to turn back. Can you tell us yes. a bit about why this was? Well, yeah, I think his uh, he, he wasn't able to follow his own schedule uh, because those two goals that I outlined, which one of which was the thorough scientific exp- exploration of the peninsula, and the other being the search for the magnetic pole, were at odds with each other. Um, a uh, an in depth scientific study obviously re- re- requires a lot of time um, and it, and it requires moving slowly and deliberately through uh, in a uh, in a certain in a given area and uh, and then the uh, pursuit of the magnetic pole required traveling as fast as possible um, in order to reach the coasts of, of uh, Victoria land on the other side of, of the Antarctic before the winter ice set in and so um, he was not able to square that circle to Trilash. So by the time uh, he, the, the, um, the scientists on board had finished, and they had been rushed, but they, they, still, uh, they still took as much time as they could. Uh, and by the time they were finished with the exploration of the 
peninsula, uh, the winter, the, the ice was already starting to set in. And so he, uh, Dejrelash was noticing that uh, he, he couldn't uh, get close to the coast, um, even in the Bellingshausen Sea, which was, which was very far from Victoria Land. And so he, he pretty clear to him that he would never reach the, um, the, the, uh, the coast on the other side of the Antarctic uh, in time to, to, to meet his goal. And so he was faced with the choice of either coming home empty-handed after a uh, nearly uh, a year uh, of, uh, of exploration, or I, I, I should say half a year, but coming home empty-handed and with, with not so much to, uh, to boast about in terms of, uh, of, of great discoveries, what he found uh, was not going to um, energize the public or excite the public because it was, you know, penguins, <laughs> you know, it, native insects, you know, ocean depths. Those were all scientifically important. Uh, but but again, he needed some some great exploit. This is what exploration is built on. This is what sells books and, and lectures and what people write headlines about. And so he decided that he would attempt another kind of exploit, another kind of first. He would deliberately sail the Belgica into the sea ice in an effort to come back with an even greater with an even greater story. And it would be the story of the first men to endure an Antarctic winter. Um, and uh, that is that is exactly what happened. The problem is that uh, nobody else ha was was on board with this plan and nobody else was remotely prepared for it. Um, and so it led to a, a tremendous amount of suffering. Okay, um, uh, fantastic, Julian. I was just wondering there. So I was struck by in the book how you say that yeah. to some degree the Gerlach de decision making was governed by the desire for notoriety back home. I.e., the more yeah. harrowing the expedition was, the more coverage you would get. Could you tell us yeah. to what extent you think that was the case? I think that uh, he was maybe not quite as rational as that. He saw an opportunity to go south and thought that this would be a recipe for adventure i um and and uh, he, the the what aided his choice is that on the in late february 1898 uh, there was a tremendous storm that shattered the pack and led to uh and and um, created these leads long ap uh, long avenues of open water that were leading south and so he, he was driven south as if by magnetism he, he couldn't resist the temptation to to at least maybe try to achieve a, a southernmost record in that region and he at the same time he knew that the risks were that the, the ship would get uh, stuck fast and this was a fate that most ship captains would uh, try their best to avoid given the history of, of uh, certain famous uh, polar expeditions that were stuck in the ice and, and uh, and uh, either were were, were completely um, eradicated down to the last man, as such as the John Franklin expedition, or uh, saw saw you know dozens of men killed, like in the Jeannette expedition of the, uh, the late nineteenth century. So he he was aware of these expeditions, and uh, and and yet he decided to risk it. So I I I am uh, quite confident that that Dejrelash was accepted the risk and in fact to some extent embraced it uh, because it would lead to a, um, a harrowing story which in the absence 
of of the uh, south magnetic pole would secure his legacy as a bold explorer and in terms of the men did they know that this he had this decision to be made well uh, at first he claimed that uh, the ship was being directed into the uh, steered into the pack ice to avoid the or to seek shelter from the storm and there is some um justification for that because uh, the the ice creates a kind of a buffer against the waves and being at the very fringes of the pack is is quite dangerous whereas uh, a few miles into it the the waves dissipate and it's it's a lot less dangerous but he sailed the belgica well you know much further into the pack ice than uh, he would have needed to uh, if his intent was simply to seek shelter. And so uh, there was a, a, a bit of a deception on his part at the beginning. And then when the ship was ended up being being stuck a few days later, uh, there was he was even more deceitful because he uh, lied about the uh, he, he and his captain conspired to lie about the um, about the coordinates and the bearing of the ship and telling the crew that in fact they were making their way uh, that the ship was drifting back north and would make its way towards the edges of the pack when in fact the contrary uh, was the case the, the opposite was the case um and so uh, yes he was uh, he uh, was was um de absolutely deceitful in that sense um yeah okay thank you julia and i was just wondering now if you could contextualize a bit for our listeners what a winter in the antarctic really meant for the men and expand a little bit on what psychological and physical effects it had on them yeah uh well i think a large part of why the men suffered as they did and i'll, I'll get to that in a second was that uh, nobody had any idea of what to expect from an Antarctic winter because nobody had ever survived one or, or, or even attempted to. And the fact that uh, none of them had any attention of, of uh, being stuck fast for a winter, that this was an un unexpected um, uh, turn of events, led to a sense of helplessness, which compounded the effects of winter. Now, those effects uh, were at first um somewhat subtle but then as the as the sun set and didn't rise again for 70 days um it became quite dramatic the men became sullen despondent um uh, even depressed and uh, that uh th those sort of psychological symptoms then were were joined with uh, physical symptoms uh, such as uh, erratic heart rates the uh, limbs swelling um and uh you know a sense of disorientation a sense of brain fog um and uh then what cook observed to be the unmistakable signs of scurvy um as as uh, time went on and and it became clear that the uh, the canned food that Dejerlash had uh, had purchased for the expedition was was uh, not sufficient to ward off uh, that dreaded disease that had been responsible for so many millions of deaths in the age of sail and had had at that point thought to have been a disease of the past uh, because as we all know uh you know lemon juice and and lime juice cure scurvy well in fact, maybe not the not at that the bottled lime juice that Dujarlash had brought on board um, was uh, you know was not sufficient. It, it, the uh, in the bottling process, um, the the very delicate uh, compound of vitamin C 
was destroyed. Um, and so they, uh, they, they suffered from this, uh, from this disease, which Cook, which Cook refused to mention out loud for fear of stirring a panic, but it was obvious to him that, uh, that this was what was plaguing the men. In, in addition to, as I mentioned, these uh, uh, distressing and alarming mental symptoms. And you've mentioned Kirk there. He came yeah. up with sort of two revolutionary ideas that largely saved a lot of the crew's life. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about what those were? Yeah. Uh, Cook, as I, as I said, didn't want to mention scurvy, but uh, it, it became clear to him just from the, the fact that the uh, pallor that the men uh, that had washed over the men, the, uh, you know, the, the fact that they were starting to lose the the uh, use of their legs and there were it was called dropsical effusions which were uh, sort of the a bloating uh throughout the body and uh he was he noticed that this was was uh, certainly scurvy and there's actually there's recent um suggestions that the men were also suffering from a related a nutritional deficiency uh, called beriberi disease, which would have had uh, would have explained some of these symptoms as well. But at that time, scurvy was a pretty broad term and would have applied to a number of vitamin deficiencies. So I think Cook was definitely right to call it to call it scurvy. And his his uh, interventions, which you mentioned, would have worked whether whether they were suffering from scurvy or beriberi or both. Um, Cook's interventions uh, were were pretty ingenious, and um, he was a great uh, a great. A believer in the fact that the Inuit wisdom, Inuit practices were much, much more uh, useful in uh, the Antarctic than, than anything that Western medicine could suggest. And so he noticed that they, even though they had a, a very limited diet consisting mostly of meat, they did not suffer from scurvy and and concluded rightly that there was something in meat that would ward off scurvy and for, especially if it were if it was cooked in the inuit fashion which is to say either not cooked at all or or very lightly um seared um and so he prescribed a diet of penguin and seal meat as uh, you know eaten as raw as possible to the men and uh, uh many refused because on, on the grounds that a it was revolting um and especially as prepared by the incompetent uh, cabin boy turned cook and b that they they didn't trust that uh that this would have uh, would have any effect uh, it's and especially because Dujer Lash himself took uh, took umbrage at cook's suggestions that 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 the canned food that he had that he had stocked was insufficient or, or was leading to their suffering. So because he ref he was refusing to eat it, a lot of people took his lead. Uh, but those who followed a Cook's prescription, notably Roald Amundsen, who would later achieve great fame as the discoverer of the South Pole, and at this point was a 26-year-old uh, first mate of the Belgica and uh, a great admirer of Cook's, um, those who followed Cook's uh, orders saw their, their uh, symptoms uh, vanish. Uh, and they, they uh, you know, he, it, it would reverse uh, eating, eating, eating penguin meat and seal meat, uh, reverse the effects of scurvy as surely as, as water douses fire. Um, and, uh, so that was one of his great interventions. The other, um, was a rudimentary form of light therapy. Cook had the men stand, uh, for hours at a time naked in front of a, uh, in front of a blazing fire in the, in the stoves of the Belgica. Uh, on the assumption that the uh, the darkness itself was leading to their suffering, Cook believed that the the human body uh, craved the sun as surely as the, as plants do. Um, 
that the son acts as a, a kind of he called it a governor um, that would regulate heart rates and and uh, and increase well-being. And so he believed that since the the Belgica was stuck in the ice and he couldn't bring this he couldn't bring the Belgica to the sun, that he would bring the sun to the Belgica in a in a manner of speaking. And so that was uh, th- this notion that exposure to light can uh, can uh, I guess have beneficial effect on um, on men's spirits was um, uh, quite prescient and in fact uh, it's his his experiment is known as uh, the, the the first uh, application of of, uh, of phototherapy used to this day as uh, to combat seasonal affective disorder and other related forms of depression wow absolutely yeah, fascinating stuff and you made an allusion to it just there, but I was just wondering if you could expand on that because one man who didn't didn't listen to to Cook's yeah. advice was yeah. de Gerlache. and and how did that affect him? If the other men were recovering, what happened to de Gerlache? Well, he um, suffered more than any of the other men. Uh, I, I believe that he was very close to death, and it's again, it's 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 I, in the book. I I makes I suggest what may have been going through his head but it's uh, as I make clear it's it's uh, it can only be speculation uh, because but but it is informed speculation he he uh, told cook when cook insisted that he eat penguin and that and that he let the men eat penguin he uh, responded according to cook that what's good enough for the royal navy is good enough for me um, and so he was alluding to the the uh, provisions of, uh, of of lime juice that he has stocked, and and uh, his belief that the that this cure uh, that 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 uh, this was sufficient to to uh, ward off scurvy. And so there is that. There's as I mentioned the the fact that he may have been insulted by Cook's suggestion um, that that they change the diet, um, or maybe it was a sense of pride as a Belgian. Uh, that you know, one 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 eats civilized foods. Uh, one doesn't eat penguin. Um, I, I I don't know what it. Um, I, I, one could you, and I think he may not have trusted Cook, who, as we know, is was not uh, always a trustworthy character. Although in this case, uh, he, he would have Dujelash would have done well to put his faith in him. Um, but um, in, in any respect, uh, his his. Uh, reluctance to eat penguin and uh led to a worsening of his, of his symptoms and uh, those symptoms were compounded with lancing headaches uh, and a deep depression i think that that did not have a, a purely physiological uh cause it was i think his his depression was also the fact that he real that his best friend who had brought on board named emil danko had died um a few months into the the wintering and he felt deeply responsible for it. He felt responsible for all the suffering on board. And he also uh, was a man who was only ever happy at sea. Um, he was a great sailor, a much better sailor than he was a leader of men. And uh, his his command of the ship was taken from him by by the ice. Um, you know, the, the the he had no say in where the ship was going, and so he he was spending days on end in his cabin, supposedly um, supposedly updating. Uh, the ship's log, but when you look at the log for those days, it's as empty as the uh, as the the landscape uh, that that he saw out his window, and it's actually quite eerie to imagine him just sitting there, uh, not doing anything. Um, and and uh, so anyway, he 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 suffered greatly. And I also suggest, by the way, a little parenthesis. I suggest that uh, one reason for his suffering and for the fact that he seemed to have suffered more than anyone else 
was that his um and this is just a a uh, a suggestion uh, w which um I put out there for for anyone to consider but I I do think that there's some evidence for it is that his cabin uh, opened onto the dark room uh where Cook developed his photos Cook was also the official photographer of the expedition and uh, ingenious as he was Cook uh, ran out of of hypo which is a a um a liquid uh, in which you, you place the glass plate negatives in order to fix the image. He, and he replaced them with uh, hydrocyanic acid, which he had read uh, was used to fix daguerreotypes in the old days, uh, but is also an extremely toxic poison, which uh, would later form the, the, the active ingredient of Zyklon B. Um, but in any case, uh, Lash's, the dark room did not have any windows. And the fumes, which Cook was careful not to breathe, um, would have had nowhere to evaporate but into Dijerlash's cabin. So there is a possibility that he was uh, accidentally poisoned by his own doctor. Uh, and the the, um, the effects of, of cyanide poisoning, of, of chronic and low-grade cyanide poisoning, were quite similar to the the uh, symptoms that Dijerlash was experiencing. So that is also a, another another factor to consider. Really fascinating stuff. Thank you, Julian. Um, this expedition, as you briefly mentioned, was the first time we come across the rather mythical figure that is Amundsen. In later yeah. life, he, and as you say in the book, he described Cook as the greatest traveler he had ever met. Why yeah. did he have this great admiration for Cook? And can you tell us a bit about their relationship? Amundsen was extremely excited to meet Cook. Um, and uh, because Amundsen had, from a very young age, decided that he would be a great polar explorer. This was his sole ambition. He was not a great student. He, you know, did not really care for romantic, romantic undertakings. He cared about one thing, and it was to be a great explorer in the mold of his heroes, John Franklin and uh, Friedhof Nansen. And uh, he had read about Cook's uh, adventures with Peary in the Arctic. And uh, one of their co-travelers was a man named uh, Ivan Astrup, who was a Norwegian uh, explorer, young Norwegian explorer who had uh, died uh, at a young age and had become a, 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 a Norwegian hero. And uh, Amundsen was, was uh, desperate to hear more about Astrup uh, from Cook. And so, and uh, also just to, to learn from, from uh, Cook's experience, uh, he, he, saw, he saw his time on the Belgica uh, as a, uh, a sort of apprenticeship, and there was no greater mentor for him than Cook himself. And so, uh, in um, at every opportunity, he would follow Cook, and they would travel together. They would uh, uh, while they were exploring the uh, the uh, Antarctic continent on the peninsula, they would go on on um, uh, on these sort of uh, expeditions together to try to to try to scale the highest peak or to um you know cross crevasses and um and, and amundsen was in awe of uh, of cook's skills cook, cook was a, a very able uh mountaineer and mountaineer and um and just a a very adventurous and and uh physically agile person and i guess cook uh, amundsen greatly admired that he also admired cook's sense of the possible the uh the two of them would have these wild dreams of how to how to uh, run an expedition or or of uh, 
you know, uh, Cook had this this uh, absolutely batty notion to uh, to organize a second ark uh, like Noah's Ark, but that would bring all of the animals of the uh, of the southern continent to the north, and all of the animals of the of the uh, of, of the northern hemisphere to the south. And in an effort to, I guess, I, I can't really understand what the thinking was, but that the idea is that it would it lead to uh, great eco diversity and and. Uh, you know, maybe he, he imagined being able to farm penguins in, in uh, Greenland. And anyway, uh, Amundsen was in, was enamored with with Cook's uh, a, a, a extremely active imagination. Um, and that imagination uh, would later lead Cook to, you know, Leavenworth prison, among among other uh, indignities. Uh, but it also ab aboard the Belgica led to the great, uh, you know, um, Intervented, you know, the, the extremely effective and life-saving medical interventions that I mentioned before, and so uh, Amundsen credited Cook with uh, saving the lives of everyone on board, and um, was uh, also greatly admired Cook's um, uh, plan, which I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead in the story, but to Cook con concocted along with the Jerlash, but it was Cook's original idea to design a demented escape plan to break break the the ship out of the ice uh which would would involve sawing through the the equivalent of a mile and a half of of uh of at least meter thick ice and so uh Amundsen had been against that effort in the beginning he thought it was pointless he thought it would never work and it would exhaust the men but uh but he had to acknowledge that that Cook's plan in the end uh ended up uh, leading to the to the ship's salvation so as everybody uh would later turn on Cook for the uh, claims that uh, I hope we'll get to in a second about his his uh, egregious lies that he uh, that he would spill about his own uh, achievements. Um, everybody turned on on Cook, but Amundsen remained fiercely loyal to him until until the very end and, and called him the greatest traveler who ever knew, which is such a poignant um, uh, statement from him because uh, by by uh, any metric, Amundsen was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, polar exp uh, explorer of all time. He would end up blazing the Northwest Passage. Um, he would end up being the first to the South Pole. And uh, almost certainly, if, uh, if, if current scholarship is to be believed, uh, was uh, the, the first to the North Pole as well. So the, the fact that the, the great hero of, of uh, polar exploration should hold the the great anti-hero of polar explorations in such high esteem i i found to be uh, remarkably touching in terms of you know jumping back to the belgica you mentioned yeah. briefly about uh, some of cook's ideas in terms of escaping from the pact could you expand a bit on those as the summer sun returned and uh, and the ice uh, the, the men were expect expected the flow of ice that contained the ship to shrink and eventually to shatter because if the ship had found its way into the ice, it should, by uh, by all logic, find its way out of the ice by the time the sun returned. But that did, that wasn't happening. the The flow remained uh, stubbornly uh, intact, and um, Cook uh, acknowledged that the men were in no condition to survive a second winter. The um, if uh, the, the ship were to remain stuck fast, he believed that most of the men would die. And um, he insisted that the, the, the men find uh, you know, that find a way to break out of the pack. And this was a ludicrous notion 
to uh, to Dijalash and the other officers because it was as, as if he had suggested that they just you know flap their arms and fly home it was the 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 forces of the of the pack the pressures and the size uh, of the ice and the expanse of the ice uh, were you know just mind boggling what what could uh, seventeen exhausted men possibly do to uh, to to uh, break their way out uh, especially since Dijalash had brought along a, a stock of of explosives uh, which which ended up being disappointing to say the least. Uh, they, they would have they had very little effect on the ice they couldn't even create a you know a, a hole in the ice uh, they could create maybe a, a little sooty concavity is the best they could do and so they had given up hope uh, in the explosives and the only thing that they had were shovels and picks pickaxes and saws um, and so cook suggested this uh, a, a quite a uh, quite a uh, imaginative plan but one dictated by poor physics which was that uh, to to dig a trench from the prow of the ship to the nearest body of water uh, that would allow the sunlight to reach the bottom layers of the ice and uh, to uh, heat up a layer of fresh water that you know that that, that rested upon the hardest uh, bottommost layer of the ice and in in hopes that that hotter water would weaken the ice along that trench and uh, if ever the flow were to break, that it would break along that trench, which would allow, uh, which would uh, hopefully allow the ship to to make its way to that body of water rather than somewhere else where where it wouldn't have been of any use. So um, it's it was not a, a physically sound uh, plan, or, or rather the physics of it were were not uh, well thought through, because that that layer of water. Uh, wouldn't stay put over that trench. It would actually, if the sun, if the sun had any effect, and it didn't seem that it would, um, the 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 water that that heat would have dissipated um, pretty evenly across the flow. However, the energy with which Cook threw himself into the digging of the trench and uh, inspired uh, many of the other men to do the same, and those who worked and had a sense of the. Uh, or, you know, it, it gave them a sense of agency in their own salvation. Even if it didn't work, even if the plan didn't work, uh, it it allowed it energized the men and gave them the sense that uh, uh, I gave, gave them a sense of purpose. And so uh, that inspired Dujerlash to propose an even more outlandish plan, which was uh, to actually saw through. Uh, the ice, which uh, at its thickest was 20 feet, 28 feet thick, um, and at its thinnest was probably a meter thick, so at least three feet thick, um, to saw through the uh, an actual to saw an actual canal, which would uh, require sawing the two banks of the canal and then uh, sawing uh, segments of ice in between and moving all of those out into uh, the nearest clearing of water. And so, the, as as I say, that was the equivalent of more than a mile's worth of of, uh, of sawing uh, by by uh, men who were physically depleted uh, using uh, two dinky ice saws left over from the uh, Belgica's days as a whaling ship, and um, it, it and uh, it ended up um, it ended up being a Sisyphean task because the uh, whenever they would. Uh, the men would work in shifts, and so they were sawing for 24 hours uh, a day. But um, 
but overnight the uh, what they had cle- the, the the sea it was so cold that the the water would freeze again and they would have to start again the next day um, and then at the right when they were about to to prepare the ship to exit the uh, through the canal um, the the banks closed up again and it became the, the pressures um, in force uh, made the the, uh, the 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 ice close up kind of like a nutcracker around a around a nut and all of a sudden the, after having been somewhat protected by a uh, a buffer of ice when it was stuck fast all of a sudden the, the Belgica was in even greater danger but uh, through ingenuity and through a, you know a, a, a strategic use of of explosives. Uh, they, the, the Belgica was able to break free of, of her prison, or at least that particular prison. She was stuck fast again, a few dozen miles north, but never, but not for as long. And uh, the men were chopping away at the ice with axes and saws, and em- ended up, you know, making uh, making a break for it. And, uh, and the, so the plan was ultimately successful. Cook, I guess, is not entirely to uh, uh, it cannot be entirely credited with this plan because, but but it was his idea to. Uh, his sense that it it was not only possible but essential that the men break free that led to the successful escape um and and that was um that was due to his uh, again his eager imagination brilliant so really great to hear about how they actually finally got out and and, and escaped and so just moving uh, away slightly from the belgian canal uh, I yeah. was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit about Cook's part in Robert Peary's Arctic expedition around seven or, or, or eight years earlier. And uh, yeah. could you tell us a little bit, you've already mentioned Peary, but expand on who Peary was and, and what his relationship with, with Cook was like. Peary was uh, a naval engineer who had, I guess somewhat like Amundsen, um, who dreamed of being a great polar explorer and, and hopefully one day reaching the North Pole. In, uh, he had been to the Arctic once and was planning a second, uh, in 1890, uh, was, was planning a second expedition to uh, establish the, the coastline of Greenland. And uh, he had placed an ad in the paper, I believe it was the Philadelphia paper, um, re- requesting men to join him in his expedition, and uh, it specifically asked for a, uh, a surgeon or a, a rather a doctor. And Cook at that time was had uh, I guess was was experiencing a dark night, experiencing a dark night of the soul. He had just finished medical school and uh, was about to embark on uh, I guess what what would have been a um, a respectful middle class life. He was he had uh, had just gotten married and he was about to have a, a child, but right after, but but his uh, his wife uh, fell ill. His wife didn't didn't survive childbirth and neither did the uh, d- neither did the child. So he was uh, a, a in a extremely dark place, and um, he tried to start his own med- his medical practice, but his mind kept wandering. He wa- he was uh, he wanted to escape, and he was and he found escape in polar narratives, in um, the stories of uh, Alicia Kent Kane, among other um, uh, among other polar explorers, and uh, and also in the stories of adventure in uh, such as uh, the expeditions into the Congo by uh, by by Stanley, and so he he dreamt of of uh, far flung. Uh, exploration, and he saw this opportunity, and and uh, that that in the ad that uh, Perry had placed 
in the paper, and then the two of them met and hit it off. And so uh, Cook's role as a doctor, it, it, I guess his responsibilities uh, were uh, came into play very early on in the expedition when when uh, the ship struck uh, an iceberg and the tiller slammed into Peary's leg and cra- and snapped it in two. Uh, and so uh, immediately Cook uh, fashioned a splint out of an old oar, and uh, and and because Perry was bedridden for months. Uh, Cook ended up taking, uh, a, a, t- to some extent, taking control of, of the expedition, and he was uh, became the uh, the lead interlocutor with the local Inuit, and he would uh, he he learned um, he was never good at languages, but he was always very charismatic, and so just through a mix of of uh, sign language and and uh, just you know uh, whatever whatever means at his disposal and the and in the fragmentary. Uh, Inuit he had come to learn he was able to um, really converse with with the Inuit and and learned a lot from them uh, during that trip he, the the cook uh, Peary once his leg was recovered and Astrup the Norwegian explorer uh, that I had uh, mentioned before uh, experienced terrible force of uh, of the uh, Arctic environment the the, the they were almost uh, buried by snow, and uh, during during a particularly um, powerful storm, and uh, that that I guess gave Cook a real sense of the the, the magnitude of the uh, and the power of the of the polar elements, which is something that he kept in mind throughout his his career. Um, but uh, it ended up being a kind of a baptism by by snow, um, and. Um, uh, led to his, uh, I, it, it was an extremely formative experience. Um, and uh, when they returned, Cook saw this as a career that he wanted to uh, pursue. He wanted to to immediately. He was he was bitten by the bug and wanted to go back to the to the poles. And um, he asked Perry for permission to publish his anthropological uh, observations of the Inuit. And, uh, and and medical observations and Peary, uh, following the custom that uh, the expedition leader would have the uh, the, uh, the exclusive rights to publish anything about the expedition, rejected that claim. And so even even so, he invited Cook to return to the Arctic with him. And at first, Cook accepted, but then realizing that he didn't want to be play second fiddle to anybody, uh, he backed out. And there there was the beginnings of what would become a uh, a massive rift between the two men. Upon returning from the Belgica, Cook wrote a, a narrative of the Belgica uh, expedition called Through the First Antarctic Night, which became a hit, uh, just a, a beautifully written book that I relied on uh, a lot to, for, for my own book. Um, and that established him as as a, uh, a, you know, something of a celebrity in America uh, and uh, one of the, the country's most famous explorers. He became the, uh, the president of the Explorers uh, Club, uh, the, one of the first presidents of the Explorers Club in New York. If not the first, I can't remember. Um, but uh, his next expedition, uh, for his next expedition in 1905, I believe, he planned to ascent to to summit uh, Denali, then known as Mount McKinley, which is the tallest mountain in North America. And uh, the first year, he managed only to circumnavigate it, which was uh, a, a, a respectable accomplishment in its own right. Um, but then the second year, he claimed to have summited it. And uh, and wrote another uh, uh, another book uh, that sold very well. And then he decided that his next exploit should be 
the holy grail of of uh, of exploration, which the um, attainment of the North Pole. And um, after you know disappearing for a couple of years, no one knew where he was. All of a sudden, a headline appears in the New York Herald, something like you know the the uh, you know the North Pole is attained by Frederick Cook, uh, and uh, he had it also talks about his the, the, the grueling winter that he survived. Uh, you know, eating polar bear and, and fending off uh, polar bear attacks in this uh, stone hut that he built in um, in in uh, in the Arctic, um, and and it was just it's just such a great adventure story, uh, and it turned out uh, to almost certainly have been fabricated. Uh, he, he he was when those those first news reports had come out, he was hailed as a as a conquering hero. There were ticker tape parades. There was the, you know people. There was a, a cocktail named in his honor that that became. Uh, uh, popular throughout the country, um, and it was uh, it was just a moment of great glory for him. But uh, but Perry, who had uh, himself who himself claimed to have reached the pole shortly after, cast doubt on Cook's achievement, and ha- and uh, summoned an army of uh, of allies to 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 question the veracity of the claim. And Cook was never able to back it up. Uh, his his uh, he he claimed that he had lost his notebook or that that uh, Perry's men had had uh, you know stolen his notebook it was it's just a a long series of of i guess dubious claims and in the end it seems like for a long time Peary's Peary's claim was accepted by the National Geographic Society and it wasn't until the 80s that people reexamined Peary's notes and and uh, realized that his the speeds that he claimed to have reached were not believable uh, especially given that he had he had lost uh, uh, nine of his toes that he he would be able to to uh, march with the speed that he claimed to have and so it's it's now pretty widely accepted that neither Cook nor Perry probably uh, um, reached the, the North Pole. But that didn't stop Cook from becoming um, just a, a national punchline, because once that record had been cast into doubt, uh, they also looked back at his at his attainment, supposed attainment of uh, the summit of Denali. And um, Perry's allies had found the the, uh, the the guide that had led Cook up there and were able to extract from him a confession that it, it had been uh, that, that they had only reached a, a far lesser peak. Now there is some evidence that 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 uh, that guide's claims were made in exchange for payment. Uh, that that basically they they bribed him to to say that Cook hadn't reached it. And so there's some real um, you know skullduggery going on there. There's some um, on Perry's allies were nasty and and uh, and I think definitely um uh there 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 is grounds to at least i guess there's some there's some possibility of doubt uh and there's a very remote possibility that cook may have made it but i don't think anybody really puts much stock in that wow really incredible figure and yeah that, that wasn't really the end of it we no. Towards the end of your book, you tell us that he ended up in prison. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Well, yeah. Well, as I say, he was he had become a bit of a joke, and the only audiences uh, by the by the I guess um, the nineteen uh, tens and the outbreak of World War One, uh, the only audiences he was able to um, uh, to attract were uh, on the vaudeville stage, and so they, you know, he his lectures, which had once been, um, you know, even. They, they, they were um, engaging, but they were always at least semi-scientific. 
Um, and, and then the, these had become pantomimes of scientific lectures. He was just he was encouraging the audience to boo and hiss uh, about Perry, and it was just he, he became an entertainer and a and a, and a bit of a, a bit of a joke, a P.T. Barnum type figure. And then um, he was not able to attract any kind of investment in in his um, in his ex, his uh, ex, proposed expeditions. He tried to uh, to to summit uh, Mount Everest and was arrested, for example. Anyway, but uh, so he decided to remake his career as an oil man in the oil fields of Texas and to join the the wildcatting boom of uh, the early 1920s. And his plan at first, he, he you know, his his plan was uh, to he he believed that his experience as a, as an explorer qualified him as a geologist, which it didn't. Um, but he he, he was he, he was able to convince enough people that he knew what he was talking about, and so he bought up a bunch of with with the help of some investors, bought up a bunch of defunct or underperforming oil wells and. Try and assumed that uh, much like the mortgage crisis of the uh, of two thousand eight, that a bunch of bad properties would uh, would somehow uh, be more than the sum of its parts and lead to 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 increase the chances that one of them might strike a gusher and and pay for the whole operation. But they never did, and so he decided to run a kind of a Ponzi scheme where he would uh, attract he would he would send out these grandiloquent. Uh, uh, brochures that would uh, talk about his great polar experience and trade on his notoriety and promise Rockefeller-like profits and in order to attract stockholders and then paid, duped a bunch of people into signing on and then paid for dividends by uh, selling uh, more stock, which sounds just like a pyramid scheme, doesn't it? Um, so that, that uh, landed him in... Um, that landed him in Leavenworth prison and the, the, you know, the sentencing judge called him the Machiavelli of the 20th century. It seems like an exaggeration just, but he was called the, the greatest imposter of, of, of all time um, at that time. And I, I guess he was, he was sentenced to 14 years in, in, in a federal prison, which was uh, much more than anybody who, uh, uh, than anybody else received for, for similar uh, infractions. Uh, but I guess in proportion to his uh, to his notoriety. So um, he ended up in Leavenworth, which he called the coldest place on Earth. Uh, and it's funny for a person who the first American to cross both the Arctic and the Antarctic circles to call the coldest place on Earth someplace in Kansas. Um, but he he ended up being uh, just as, as he had been on the Bel in the Belgica. He had en ended up um, becoming the most popular man in uh, in, in prison. Because anybody to know him was to love him, to fall under his aura, uh, and uh, and to realize that even though he might have uh, bent the truth uh, to, to to the point of <laughs> to, to the breaking point, he was a genuinely loving man and did everything he could to help people. And so he saw a, a um, the 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 suffering around him, and. He, to him, it was quite similar to the suffering in the Belgica. These men were also suffering from a lack of light. They were suffering from bad food and they were suffering from scurvy. Um, and he saw that, you know, the mental symptoms that come from imprisonment and despair and confinement. He saw those in Leavenworth just as he had in uh, in the Belgica. And um, he was made the physician's assistant. He couldn't be the physician because he was a he was a prisoner, but uh, he was made physician's assistant. And in that sense, he was uh, responsible for or partly responsible for uh, treating these men, and he treated them as he had uh, the the men of the Belgica by prescribing fresh meat, 
um, were lightly cooked and um, exposure to sunlight. Another another uh, footnote to this um, to his time in Leavenworth is that he only ever received one visitor, and that visitor was Roald Amundsen, and who who was in the country to promote one of his uh, you know upcoming expeditions and uh, could not go through the country without paying a tribute to his old mentor. And so that's how I begin and, and end the book is with that that visit. Well, thank you. It's a lovely way to sort of come full circle, I suppose. And uh, thanks for that whirlwind tour of, of Cook's life. <laughs> he's, quite, he's quite an enigma and I'm sure you've left our listeners with quite a lot to, to chew on. Um, so we're just going to jump jump to a few quick questions that we like to ask sure. each of our each of our uh, guests uh, at the end of yeah. every episode, more slightly more personal ones. And the first one we'd like to ask you is, Julian, what was it that what was the thing that really drew you to this topic to Belgica and then subsequently to to, to Cook? Yeah, the first I heard of the Belgica was in a uh, an article in the New Yorker magazine in twenty fifteen. Uh, which was about NASA's plans uh, to study the, the effects of um, long-term uh, isolation and confinement in preparation for missions to Mars. And it began uh, pretty unexpectedly with a, a short summary of this, the, the Belgica expedition, which it turns out has been studied as something of a cautionary tale um, by, by NASA. And um, so I, I love that idea that somehow the pole, uh, polar expeditions could still yield lessons for space exploration and, you know, that, that it's uh, they, they could serve as a useful analog. Um, and uh, then I, you know, in that in that short, those few paragraphs, um, it the uh, the um, author drew the, the connection between the the uh, men going mad and uh in the poles and i thought that that connection was so, was so gothic uh this it, it reminded me of edgar allen one of my favorite books with, growing up was edgar allen poe's the narrative of arthur gordon pym um which uh in, in which poe imagines uh the you know the uh the the bottom of the earth to to be this this maddening place um and uh it, it made me think of hp lovecraft and jules verne and all that and and, and so i i I was immediately drawn to that, and then uh, it mentioned the interventions of Frederick Cook, and uh, you know the the fact that this this person who would end up being um, pegged as a as a fraud, uh, as such a, as as one of the most egregious imposters in American history, should be the hero of this expedition. For me, for me, that was irresistible. I love these heroic antiheroes like you know Butch Cassidy or, or Han Solo. You know, I, I've I've always loved that kind of character, and it it felt to me that. Uh, he could form the the basis of a great book. As polarizing as he was, what do you think is the most valuable lesson we can learn from his life? I think the, the there's there's two things. First, it's his faith in the um, in the wisdom of the Inuit, which in in, in sort in uh, always seeking out a diversity of viewpoints and uh, and and questioning you know the the validity of. Um, or rather, questioning the dominance of, of Western viewpoints, uh, I think was that was very it's very uh, notable and and I guess admirable of him to to uh, find such 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 wisdom in the Inuit practices. He was sort of on the razor's edge between ingenuity and deceit, and uh, that that's a very American quality, I think. Or uh, he that that um, that the flip side of his uh, the 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 fabrications that he would become so notorious for was, uh, you know, a great sense of, of, of innovation and a great sense of what's possible. Um, and so I think, 
I think that's the, the, the thing that I that I admire the most about him is um, to uh, to stare impossibility in the face, you know, and uh, and to come up with with ingenious solutions. And also, he was a very just a very loving man, um, d despite everything. You know, his in his letters to his family, to his friends, um, in in uh, the way he he treated the men almost as if they were his own children. Um, just 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 a beautiful soul, um, and I, I don't think we should remember him only for his deceits. Brilliant. And one final question, Julian. Uh, if you were at the, the pub or if you had the opportunity to sit down for a drink, let's say maybe if in, in the stateside at a bar uh, and yeah. have a drink, what would be the one question that you would ask him? Well, first of all, I don't know if he, he would himself would be drinking because I think he was a Methodist. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I would. Um, yeah, I would. Um, I would ask him if he if, if he attained the poll and he would say yes. I would want to know, presuming that he would tell me the truth, I would want to know why he lied about it. That's and I, I would have to get him pretty drunk and uh, on coffee um, <laughs> to to get him to explain that because he he held on to that claim for the rest of his life. Brilliant, and I suppose that's what makes him such a sort of enigmatic figure. Um, and and on that note, I'd like to say thank you so much for your time, Julian. It's been an absolute pleasure to to listen to you share your expertise on this topic. Oh, thank you. And I and I apologize for rambling. It's just it's it's such a fascinating story that, you know, I, I can't uh, resist going down these uh, these leads into the into the ice, so to speak. So Brilliant. Uh, thank you for, for bearing with me. And uh, yeah, thank you for me as well. And we implore all our listeners to go out and buy the book. It's an excellent one. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for that.